All right, welcome back to the podcast. And man, I'm really behind on editing these episodes. Ugh. Anyway, Pastor Aaron Taylor is with us today on the podcast, and I recorded this a few weeks ago. I'm recording these and posting them in different orders. So in the episode, we're talking all about the Wesleyan Holiness Women Clergy Conference, which we all just got back from. So when you listen to it, you cannot register, or I should just say, you're really early for the uh, WHWC conference in 2024. I don't know, however you want to look at it. I'm going to just choose to look at it positively. So if you listen to my episode with Dr. Kimberly Majeski, um, she recommended that I interview Aaron Taylor, and and I really enjoyed having this conversation with Aaron. So first of all, if you haven't listened to Dr. Majeski's episode, you'll want to go back and do that. I think it's January of 2021, somewhere around there when I posted it. So you can go back and, re- and listen to that one. Erin uh, is right here from Michigan. And we talk about networking, why it's not a bad, bad word, why we all need to do it, especially women clergy. We need to learn how to network. Uh, we need to learn how to leverage. If you happen to be one of the few who are in my workshop, well, there are about 80 people in my workshop, but they, I don't think they all listen to the podcast. But if you're in that workshop, uh, I talk about this idea of leveraging our relationships and uh, in, in networking, why it's not a bad thing. So Erin and I spend some time talking about that. And we also explore her adoption journey, why she chose to go down that road and what that was like for her, that vulnerable process. And then at the end, um, we get in a little bit into ministry and because both she and her husband are clergy we get we get vulnerable about that I don't want I don't want to tell you everything that we say but we get a little vulnerable there uh, and it's anyway it's good stuff I think you're going to enjoy it you're going to get a lot out of this whether you're male or female listening to it so shout out to all my male uh, listeners somebody was asking me about that like what's your profile or whatever for your listeners I'm like I have no idea anymore I originally thought that I was doing this for women who are kind of exploring their call where we're new in the process of answering the call. And then it turns out that I have all these men listening to the podcast and all these clergy that are already ordained and I have lay people and I'm like, I have no idea anymore. So I'm just glad that you're here. We've reached 5,000 downloads. (laughs) Um, It's just thank you so much that you keep listening and sharing the podcast I am uh, recording several on neurodivergent clergy, and I have several that I recorded. I need to do like the intro episodes. I'm going to talk a little bit about my neurodivergent journey, basically why I'm a weirdo. And um, I shouldn't say that because, but we all call ourselves that anyway, whether we're neurodivergent, maybe, I don't know, maybe neurotypicals don't ever say that about themselves, just us who really are weirdos. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. Each episode has so many unique things in it. Anyway, I have several guests. Since I've come back from the Wesleyan uh, Holiness Women Clergy Conference, man, I think I have a, a year's worth of guests coming to the podcast, including shout out to Junia Project. Uh, they are coming to the podcast. So, uh, And then some others I will start I'm just going to 
unabashedly start throwing names over the next few episodes. So anyway, enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? That well, anyway, welcome to the podcast. You've been a you've been a pastor for a while because you were on staff in your previous assignment for what thirteen years. Yes, so I just hit seventeen years this week in pastoral, and that's about that's about what I've been in ministry as well. How long have you been at Alma? This summer will be four years. Yeah, so I was here for about a year and a half before the pandemic, and then uh, you know, whole new ball game. You know, after that time, so. That's great. Now, do you have other staff there with you as well? Uh, we have um, a full-time youth pastor. He does youth and discipleship. We also have a community center that's a part of our uh, church here. And we have a full-time director um, of the community center. And then we have some part-time staff as well. Tell me, so tell me about your community center. So I'm really grateful in the uh, 1980s, this was a vision of uh, some of the, the church leadership, a real heart to reach and serve the local community. And so uh, they built this uh, facility, uh, actually uh, purchased a facility and then renovated it. So it's a gym uh, with some classroom space as well. And uh, over these decades, this has really become how our church is known in our community. Uh, it's really a vibrant ministry. We have uh, fitness classes and sports leagues. We have a, a after-school program for kids that's just booming right now. And uh, it gets used for rentals and recitals and funeral dinners and all kinds of things. Um, but it really is a wonderful way for us to connect with the community and build some relationships. Um, so uh, we're putting a lot of effort into that these days, especially, um, and really feel like um, that's our opportunity to to grow um, and continue to to serve our community and reach reach more people. That's being part of our vision because we're right in the center of a neighborhood is to move in that direction a little bit uh, and to do some kind of a, a community center. Now, for your community center, does it function as a ministry of Alma or is it like a separate nonprofit? How do you balance those two? Yeah, great question. So um, on the books, we are one entity. Um, you know, it, it is our ministry. Um, because they are separate buildings, however, uh, a lot of folks in the community don't even know <laughs> that we're attached. I mean, our buildings are really just a few yards away. It's very, very close. But, but it, it kind of, uh, because it's separate, also provides a bit of like a safe space feeling where some people who uh, don't have a lot of experience with church, it feels kind of weird to walk into a church building. So this kind of gives an opportunity to walk into a space that doesn't feel like a church. So uh, we work really hard to uh, work on the bridges and connections between the two ministries. Um, so we're, it's very much an alongside, you know, kind of process. And so then you have someone who's actually director of that center coordinator and so then and so they're and they're actually part of your staff the person who oversees that are is that a lay person is that are they ordained he is ordained um we don't use the title pastor in his case because uh he's working in the community and prefers to be the it's called his place um the director of his place um again this 
feels a little easier to uh, enter a door than hello, I'm a pastor, you know, rather than just I'm the director of the community center. So, but he's a gifted minister um, and is active in our church life as well. Um, and that that's really cool to see him minister in, in our congregational life, as well as leading the, the outreach efforts through the community center. That especially as we're coming out of the pandemic, it's going to become more and more a necessity for the local church to engage you know, some kind of a community aspect. I mean, obviously it was before that, but even now being the boots on the ground really is just going to be imperative for us as we come out of this. You know, how wonderful for you guys to be already positioned for that and really to pivot. I mean, you can roll any kind of, you know, ministry or program that you want out of that, you know, to make it work. And that was already established when you were there, when you came there. Okay, now I was reading your bio, and it said that you got your call at 15. I'm an adult convert, so I got my call much later. Um, so, I, I'm, But I'm always fascinated when I hear, of, especially women who have this call so young, you know, like 14, 15, 16. Just talk about how did that call come about? What were the, were the, the people or the, maybe the events that God used to affirm that call on your life? Thanks for asking about that. Um, I I grew up as a pastor's kid, and so um, growing up in the church was a really positive experience in my life. I'm really grateful for the intentionality of my parents um, to uh, really help the church be a positive thing uh, in my life. Doesn't mean it wasn't uh, hard at, at some points, but that really helped nurture not only my relationship with the Lord, but then. Um, just some curiosity about what God might want to do through my life. Uh, you know, you get to like the junior high, early high school age, and they start talking about vocation at school and career options and, you know, started pondering that and uh, felt like, well, maybe, maybe I'll be a pastor. Maybe I'll go into ministry and uh, had some neat conversations with my parents about that. My mom especially encouraged me and and said, you know, it's really not so much a vocation that you choose as much as a calling that you answer. And so this needs to be something you pray about and see what God wants for your life. Uh, so I started praying about it and just kind of exploring, you know, that. And uh, I was at a, uh, it's called the International Youth Convention of the Church of God. It's this huge youth conference. Uh, we were out in Arizona and uh, they they had a service with kind of an altar call moment for ministry, actually, which is neat. Now in ministry, uh, there are other um, colleagues that I have that serve in different places around the country, and we can go back to that moment. Uh, we didn't know each other at the time, you know, that that, that was influential. But I, but I was there in that service and praying about that and, and just really, um, it was actually a really important moment in my life because... I remember feeling like, mm, I want to go forward for this call, but staying in my seat because I, I just felt like I'm not going to go this direction unless I know this is what God's asking of me. And um, it was kind of right at that moment when I decided that I'm not going to move without the Lord's call. I, I just had this moment. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was as loud in my spirit as if it was. And it just, it was just a raising to my feet to just go forward. I, I was the spirit. It, that's actually become a powerful moment for me, not just then to know that I'm called, but many points in my life in ministry, 
to just sort of have this posture of who's leading. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've had many other moments, you know, because, because I'm, I'm a pretty strong leader and I'm a planner and I'm a go-getter, but, but to have that posture in my life to say like, all right, you're in charge and I'm not going to get up and move without the Lord's leading. You know, then it was through uh, high school and college. It took me a while before I kind of narrowed in to, to know that the local church and pastoral ministry was the right fit for me. Um, by the time I finished my undergraduate work, though, I knew that my, my life, my heart was for the local church. Your undergrad, what did you do for your undergrad then? Did, was it pastoral studies or did you have a different undergrad? Anderson University and Bible and religion was my major. Through uh, a master's in theological studies, um, also through uh, Anderson University, their um, school of theology. So, well, obviously, you grew up in the church. And did you say both your parents are pastors, or just your dad? Just my dad. Uh, just but your dad. We've always done ministry together. Did you have women influence? Like, was did, did your gender, was that ever an issue? Like, did that come up and you'd be like, I'm not sure if I can do this because I'm a woman or was that something that, no, I've already, I've always seen women. How did your gender play a role in you really accepting that call? It, it, it seems, you know, people seem to be all kind of all over the map with that. Some people are like, oh man, I've got like 12 women that are ordained in my family and it wasn't an issue, right? So, uh, so I'm curious about you. What did you see growing up? Did that, did it help you? Did it hinder you in that call and answering that call? Yeah, that understanding my call as a woman was a huge part of my journey um, in, in ministry. My dad was always uh, and continues to be such an advocate for women in leadership in the church and in ministry. My dad grew up in a church in Northeast Ohio uh, where his senior pastor was a woman and was hugely influential in his life. And so he saw that and experienced that. So that really gave him a vision and passion for that. And so I knew her just sort of from a distance. I didn't have a relationship with her. I met her a few times when I was a child. Sister Lily McCutcheon is her name, an incredible woman. And I could, I knew like two or three other women in addition to her kind of from a distance that, that were in ministry. So it was hard for me to imagine it. I really didn't know what that would look like. And I remember I did my first um, ministry internship uh, with an organization in Atlanta, Georgia, right after my freshman year of college. It was uh, John Maxwell's organization uh, down there. Uh, it was a really amazing experience. And uh, I went down there and had uh, not only his organization, but some other churches in the area and other ministries in the area that I was immersed in right away. And there I was, you know, right in um, a, an area that has a lot of Southern Baptist theology and not favorable towards women in leadership. That part of it was a really hard summer for me. And, you know, I, I mean, I remember sitting in a worship service one evening that summer as I was praying through my call and trying to figure out what that was going to look like. And I, mean, I, I just remember like kneeling or sort of like sitting in a seat, you know, I've got my head down, uh, praying and crying. And I remember just like looking up to heaven and just saying, you know, I'm a woman, right? Like just making sure, you know, because I know that I'm called. So how does this equate, you know? And, and I think I had to go through the process of 
like wrestling through the scripture and asking all the hard questions about all the texts and the whole of the scripture and the, and the witness and like, what does the Bible say about that? And, and that was a huge part of my journey. And another huge part of it for me was actually getting to meet some women in ministry. Um, I was invited in college to be a part of a, a task force in our movement um, addressing uh, women in ministry and just trying to, to help raise up more women um, in, in leadership in local churches. Uh, I remember I was like the young college rep that got invited to this group. And uh, so, you know, I showed up in this city. I was so intimidated, you know, walking to that first session in that hotel conference room and opening that door and walking in and seeing 20 women who were pastors in all different kinds of settings and, um, you know, some senior pastors, some associates, some as faculty at universities, uh, just all kinds of different roles. Like it, that experience and the relationships that came out of that, like it just opened up my heart because I just hadn't seen it before. I couldn't really imagine it or envision it. And I began to get to know them and their stories. And it just like the Lord used them in such a powerful way in my life to just begin to imagine, like, what does God want to do through me? You know, what could this look like in my life? Um, so that's become, a, that's become a huge passion for me as well to find some of those young women called to ministry who maybe they haven't had the opportunity to imagine it and help them begin to imagine what might this look like in your life? you know, and uh, help introduce them to more women who are leading a different kind of contexts just to help spark their imagination. Uh, yeah. Seeing people that look like us in ministry facing similar challenges, right. Or they've gone before us, they've already come through some of that stuff and uh, whether it's gender or it's your race um, or even just other aspects of our background, right. So it might be coming to faith later in life, you know, coming to faith earlier in life, just similar hurdles and stuff like that. I think we underestimate um, the role that it plays when you, I mean, even if it's just two or three other people who look like you, who have similar stories where you feel like I'm not weird. God is, you know, God has done this, something like this before. This is not a new, new thing for him. Okay, I want to go back to those something you said because you were internship you were doing was through the John Maxwell Institute, which I mean he's Wesleyan. The pushback you were experiencing was it within that organization or was it just in the the culture and the atmosphere where you were at? It was not in that organization. Uh, it was in the kind of the culture or the vibe from a number of people that I got to know that summer. Some of it, you know, other interns that came from different contexts, or there was a really wonderful, huge church in the area that I was, you know, a part of for the summer there too, but they didn't support women in, in leadership theologically. That's just not where they were. Um, and so I think it was, it was the extra relationships or settings, more the culture of sort of the, I don't know, like the Christian subculture, maybe in that Atlanta area that I experienced. And so, yeah, sometimes you're in a culture that's so vastly different that we just don't even like we, it's hard to even put yourself in that, you know, whatever mindset or frame of mind. And it's so bizarre. And so, and you do begin questioning everything, right? You oh, yeah. questioning who you are and where you came from. And 
so it is interesting to see and to see those two dynamics being played out because here you were in this, uh, you know, in the institute that you were being interned for, which would be very women in leadership in general, not just, but then also in, in the church. And then, but to, to be set into this other context, which is not so much so, but maybe in some ways, I wonder if it wasn't beneficial because it forced you to kind of really do some wrestling that maybe if you hadn't been in that context, you wouldn't have done. Oh, that's so true. I mean, really, you know, it's like, it's like anytime we go through a difficult thing, right? You never choose the difficult thing, but you're able to look at your story and say, wow, the Lord really used that. That was a really important time in my life. And it was because it, I had already started to study those questions a little bit, but it got personal for me that summer. And I needed that, you know, I, I had to, there's no shortcut through that. It's my experience, you know, that as I mentor other women, I encourage them that has to be part of your call that you search the scripture, that you understand that, and that you, that you're able to know who you are and the Lord's call on your life when you are in settings with people who believe differently, because that will happen. And so you need, that has to be a part of how you understand your call and what disposition you're going to choose, how you're going to navigate that in your ministry. You've got to make all of those decisions, you know, and you've got to do that hard work. There's not a shortcut through it. I'm starting to appreciate it more, you know, rather than the, the echo chamber, right? I mean, it's the echo chambers. It's nice to have, not have that conflict, right? But then at the same time, where's, where are the growth spots? Because it's, it's those places where you have to bump up against one another and there, that irritation happens where God says, you know, hey, look, here's a growth opportunity, right? All right, so you've got this call to ministry, like when you were 15, and then at some point you were also Miss Michigan. Okay, so a couple of questions here. One, when did the whole pageant thing start? How did that happen? And then I guess the other question would be, how did you, how did you do those two things together? Like, how did you wrestle with your call while also doing pageant thing? Not that pageant thing is ungodly. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they're two, they're two seemingly different directions. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I still ask myself that same question. How did that become part of my story? That, um, I, that was not on my radar as an aspiration, you know, growing up to, to go that direction. You know, I competed in the Miss America system and uh, it, it was really random. Like some things are in our lives sometimes, you know, I came home uh, after my sophomore year of college, got a haircut, the guy cutting my hair directed a local pageant and convinced me, you got to go out for this local pageant. And I was like, that is not, that is not in my life plan, you know? And, uh, you know, he, he told me about the scholarship money and um, community opportunities and leadership opportunities. And I was like, oh, I'll give it a try and uh, ended up winning. It was a very small local pageant. So then found myself going, okay, well, I've got this title and I've got, I was like 10 months before I would compete at Miss Michigan. And I kind of looked at the options and thought, I'm going to give this a shot one time. I'm going to see, see what I can do. So I worked really hard and had some folks that helped me work on it and went, competed at, at Miss Michigan, won 
um, to my shock and surprise. Uh, it was it, it was an incredible experience. I got to go compete at Miss America and amazing experiences through that, met amazing people. There were a lot of wonderful things. There were a lot of really challenging things through all that, especially as a woman, issues of self-image, value, you know, all of those things, which, uh, you know, the Miss America organization, even at the time, was trying really hard to not make it about those things. But still, you're in the world of pageantry. And so there's there's a lot of those kinds of things. Where does your worth come from? Uh, where does your value come from? Again, hard things to wrestle through. But what ended up being really cool for me about all of it, it was supposed to be my full-time job for the year. You know, right at the beginning of the year, went and competed at Miss America. And then I had nine or 10 months. Um, and I, it, I was supposed to travel the state and do appearances and stuff and parades and things that kind of drove me crazy. But they didn't really have a whole lot on the calendar. And so uh, I seized the opportunity and went with my dad to the state pastors meeting in Michigan. And they gave me the microphone for a few minutes and I introduced myself and said, hey, I'm uh, I'm a, a ministry student. I feel called to ministry. I'm doing this Miss Michigan thing for the year and I wanna come to your churches and I'll do a women's event or a youth event. I'll preach on a Sunday, whatever you want. You know, here's here's my information. And I had a ton of churches take me up on it. So I did, I think it was like, 21 churches over nine months um, that I got to go to, which then, you know, I, I mean, it was a huge, huge time in my life to help find, begin finding my preaching voice and connecting with people and seeing ministry in different settings. And it really gave something that can be very superficial feeling a lot of meaning because I discovered not just in churches, but all over the place, the doors that were open to me and opportunities that I had to talk about Jesus in settings that I, I had a crown so I could get in there, you know, and uh, that was really cool. And that, that gave it a lot of meaning. It's still one of those things I laugh about, you know, I, it's, it's on my bio. It's not a secret, but I don't talk about it a whole lot. I never, ever talk about it from the pulpit. Sometimes I'll talk about it if I'm guest speaking somewhere, but I never talk about it from the pulpit. I just figure, you know, for a lot of people, a woman as a pastor is enough of an adjustment um, if they've never experienced that before, let alone adding pageantry <laughs> into that whole thing, you know, just adds a, a layer that's not always helpful. So yeah, it's uh, one of the kind of random things that's a part of my life story, but a lot I'm grateful for too, um, in what that whole experience was. Yeah, I mean, pageantry obviously is is a unique, right? Is is and I just interviewed a gal in Canada, and she's a cheerleader. So uh, every, everybody's got to have their thing. But here, I think it's interesting though, because what you you took it and you used it as a networking opportunity. I feel like that there are similar opportunities. Not obviously not that, but many of us have some kind of a niche that we could use as a networking opportunity within the larger, within our larger denomination to help, you know, meet people, make connections. When you do that, like people, I don't think people realize, especially women, the value. Like I, th I think for our mindset, we look at it as, oh, I'm being a salesperson or um, I guess of being 
unspiritual, right? But really, it's pertinent if we are going to find the doors that God has for us. And we've got to actually push on a few doors, right? We've got to try a few handles. Um, we can't just sit in our, you know, in our office or our living room and waiting for that opportunity to arise. Um, so we've got to be active as part of in, in that call. We like be willing to take initiative and then actually take initiative. I guess, you know, maybe some thoughts from you on this idea of networking from your perspective and your denomination, how that's worked for you. Obviously, you give one example here, but. Well, I think you're raising a really important area for us to think about. I, I think for me, you know, like one of the ways I think about that is, you know, at its core, leadership is influence. And so you think about where are the places of influence or potential influence that you have and how can you utilize those? You know, it's um, it's interesting. One of the sort of leadership lessons that I learned through that pageantry experience, I thought a lot about what the crown, you know, did and the doors that that opened. And I was very aware that it's not me. Like it could be any girl. It's just whoever gets to hold the crown for this moment, you know? And so it's like a lot of leadership positions that we hold, you know, even, you know, I'm the, the lead pastor here in this congregation. I'm the one in the seat at this moment. This seat is existed long before me and it will after me too. I'm just the one who's in the seat in this moment. And so to say, okay, like, it's not all about me. the influence that I have because I get to sit in this chair at this moment, there's things that I can say, there's conversations I can have, there's doors that I can open in our local community that I can uniquely do because I'm in the seat. I think that's one of the things I, uh, I try to be intentional about reflecting about that in other ways, you know, it's kind of the, the burning bush moment conversation with Moses where God asks him what's in your hand <laughs> and he had a staff in his hand and it, you know it's not not that much but it was something it was something that God used um, in a tremendous way and so for us to just be aware sometimes it feels really humble to say I don't feel like I have much in my hands I don't feel like I have much to offer much of a position but we all do you know, just as you said, sometimes the random thing that's a part of who we are or some hobby we have or some life experience that we've had or a season of life that we're in um, or a chair that we sit in, you know, for, for a season, we have that opportunity to say, how might God use this um, right through this very ordinary thing? Yeah, I like that. Uh, leadership is influence. And I know you work to develop leaders. Obviously, you develop them at the local church level because we're all called to do that. Develop, you know, create, make disciples and develop leaders. Are there other ways that you are developing leaders, maybe outside of your local church, either in your denomination or the community? Yes, I, I really uh, work hard to try and connect with um, uh, emerging leaders female leaders um, uh, in our movement. So I'm, I'm always trying to connect with some of our college students at our local universities. Um, we're, we're trying to uh, invite interns to come here, um, having a cool conversation with, young, with one young woman uh, right now about coming. And 
we were, ha- you know, having a conversation about imagination and seeing a woman leading. And she hasn't had that experience. And so, you know, realizing how powerful that might be in her life, just to experience that, you know, for, for a short time and to come alongside. So that's a real passion area for me. Um, I've got some active mentoring relationships, just connecting over Zoom. Um, you know, to, to pour into some of those young women. And I really love helping them make connections as well with other women who are leading in different contexts. Um, that's a real passion area for me. In other, probably the other area for me is adoption because that's part of our family story. And so my husband and I are always eager to make connections with other families who have walked that road or considering that and trying to pour into them as well. So you have four kids. Yes. Right. And one is biological. And then, and then you have three that are adopted. Uh, So how did you, I guess, how did that come about? I'm not, obviously I know how it came about, but (laughs) I I guess what, there are a lot of different roads that people can take. So how, how did you make that decision to choose this road of adoption? Yeah. You know, my husband and I were married for about eight years before we had children. Um, and as we were getting ready to start our family, um, we we both really had some pretty impactful experiences that led us to feel like God was calling us to start our family through adoption and through a, through a local adoption to be a part of that right in our own community. Uh, and so we began that process and opening our lives to that. And uh, those who have walked that, that road uh, know that's, uh, that's a hard process. It's pretty vulnerable and it's, uh, it's not easy. There's a lot of waiting and uncertainty um, to enter into that and to, to love courageously these amazing birth moms who are making loving and courageous decisions to, to place a child for adoption. Um, so we uh, we were walking through that waiting process uh, after you know, we did the home study process and, and all of that. And uh, we were waiting for about a year and then uh, got a phone call and it was a very fast placement. We had about 17 hours notice from knowing that we were uh, chosen to when our son Will was born. And uh, so it was just this wonderful, joyful whirlwind. So we brought him home from the hospital. And that was, that was awesome. Then uh, the story um, unfolded in a way we never could have dreamed. He, Will was about a year old when we found out that we were pregnant and we were really excited about that. And then halfway through our pregnancy, received an unexpected phone call from the adoption agency that we had worked with, letting us know that Will's birth mom was pregnant again and wanted to know if she could place with us. And so that was like, oh my word, we're pregnant too. So let's all pray about this and talk and process a little bit. Uh, But we knew that we wanted to say yes to that and thought that was a really special experience. Um, Also, you know, my husband and I are both white. Um, Will is black. And uh, we knew as we adopted him that we wanted to adopt again. We didn't want will to be the only non-white face in our family. Um, and so we knew we wanted to adopt again. Uh, we just didn't imagine doing that simultaneously to a pregnancy that we had. So all that to say, we adopted um, our second, Noah. Um, also from, from birth, he came home from the hospital with us. And then five weeks 
later to the day um, our son Jake was born. So Noah and Jake are five weeks apart. So it's been like raising twins, uh, except uh, they're not. And one is black and one is white. And so we're grateful for that beauty in our family. Uh, so, so the three boys all arrived within 18 months. We never would have imagined it. I always say I love it and I don't recommend it. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. And we could not have done it without our church family who just showed up to help us, especially in those, those first couple of early years. Then uh, as the boys were um, five and four, decided to open up our lives one more time uh, for an adoption to uh, our joy and delight. Uh, our daughter, Anna Kate, was born and placed into our family. So that's a whole nother story. And uh, right now the, the kids are 10, 9. Uh, Jake turns nine next week. So it's 10, nine and eight, almost 10, nine and nine. And then uh, Anna Kate is five and uh, she is in charge. She is a very strong girl and uh, she runs the house at five years old. So we're, (laughs) she keeps us on our toes. Yeah. She's a, she's a firstborn and a lastborn. Yeah. That three under two. Oh my word. I have two. They're almost five years apart because we had secondary infertility. So yeah, we all have our journeys that we have to, that God gives us and their blessings and they, they have their positives and their challenges. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there, there is no road of parenting that is carefree, you know? And, and I, I think too, like, as I, as Dan and I walked into that whole journey and that whole season, we came to understand that for almost everybody, becoming a parent is a very vulnerable process. You know, I, I don't think growing up, you really think about that. You know, you just think, oh, you know, I'll get married. We'll have babies. It'll be easy. So many of us know that because friends and family, and we've walked alongside others. And But just to know it's a vulnerable process, you know, to walk through all of that. And my goodness, how much it teaches us about how God loves us. Goodness, how much adoption has taught us about God's love mm-hmm. has deeply formed me, deeply formed me. Uh, to walk through all of that. Yeah. And you were pastoring at this time, right? Yeah. You're, on st- you're a staff. Now, is your husband in ministry also? He's not. We met both as ministry students, but straight out of college could not find a church that had openings for both of us at the same time. And so he had offers and I had offers. Dan so graciously and sacrificially said, hey, I think you need to take this job. And you know, he, he was working as a college admissions counselor. So he stayed in that role. And then eventually he uh, got his teaching license uh, and began teaching elementary students. And he's a very gifted teacher. And that really has become his ministry in the classroom. At this moment, since we moved here to Michigan, he's uh, been a stay-at-home dad, which we're so grateful for. I'm so grateful for, especially through the pandemic. But uh, he's an educator, you know, at heart and someone who loves children. Uh, so he's kind of a teacher slash children's pastor, camp counselor kind of guy. That's how he's, he's wired. What a great example of Ephesians 5, 23, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yes. That's amazing. It's very difficult for most men to put their ego aside. Yeah. 
and to, and to really lay that down and listen to the Lord. He's a really great man. He's a very strong leader. He's got a lot of very strong gifts. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, and honestly, you know, we had started dating just before the pageant stuff. There were so many weird things through that, especially to be dating someone through that whole experience. You can imagine, you know, the just his disposition through all of that and what we were able to work through as a couple through all of that. I mean, going through that, I knew this was the man for me, (laughs) you know? Wow. If he can put up with all of this. Right. If you can survive pageantry. telling you, it's better than any premarital counseling we could have done. (laughs) Oh, well, this has been fun. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you at the meeting you in person at the conference, Women's uh, Wesleyan Holiness Women Clergy Conference, which is coming up. People still have time to register. Great. I'm excited to see you there too. This would be great. I can't wait to meet all these women that I've had on the podcast, like for real in the flesh. I love it. So any last words of either advice or encouragement for women who are answering that call, or maybe they're taking their first assignment. Um, they've already answered the call, but they're you know kind of taking their first assignment uh, or women who are nervous about quote unquote networking, right? <laughs> One of my, my dad's life phrases is this, state who you are and remain non-anxious. It's a good word. It's been an important word for me in life and ministry and in my, in my calling as well. And that's what I encourage um, other women as well as, as you walk into what God has called you to do, rest in that, be who you are, state who you are. <laughs> Be comfortable in the uniqueness of you in your own skin and remain non-anxious. The Lord is good and he is trustworthy and he helps us. He equips us with what he's called us to do. Uh, I have found in some of the most challenging situations and places where I feel out of my league or places where I feel like I'm an imposter, you know, walking into it. If I can go in with that mindset, stay who you are, remain non-anxious resting in who I am in the Lord. If I'm not anxious about who I am, other people aren't anxious about who I am. I like that. And it gives a new twist on, on the verse that says, do not be anxious. Cause I think we, we want to categorize it as don't ever have a feeling of anxiety, right? Like, well, I mean, we are human beings, but I think you put it, yeah, you phrase it that way. That's a whole different, do not be anxious about who you are in Christ. That's good. I hope that carries a few women all the way to the conference. (laughs) Good. Well, and then, hey, there's nothing better than just being together and supporting each other. And, you know, as we talk about, just knowing you're not alone and seeing yourself, you know, in others is brings so much strength. So I'm, I'm so grateful for those kinds of contacts and grateful to connect with you, Joanne, too. I know, I know. Thank Dr. Majeski. Yes. Absolutely. Love that lady. She's awesome.